Okay, Boker Tov, and a happy Erev Hanukkah. Hanukkah tonight, very exciting times. Good things going on. So Masiba, BRS invites everyone to a Hanukkah extravaganza Thursday night. And don't forget, uh, it's not too late to sign up for People of the Book. Tonight, we're studying Buria. Very exciting. I'm teaching it. Uh, Rabbi Moskowitz still not feeling well. And uh, Buria is an incredible character with a fascinating story. And uh, tomorrow, don't forget the new men's afternoon kolal, 3 to 5 on Wednesday afternoons. But right now we turn our attention to Parshas Miketz. Parshas Miketz is the continued unfolding of the incredible story. Who needs the theater or television or novel, romance novels? Bor Hashem, our sacred Torah has it all. And when you read Parshas Miketz, as we conclude these stories at the end of Parshas Brachis, you have the unfolding of the most incredible story. It's gripping, it's scintillating, it piques your curiosity. And what's remarkable about the Torah is, even though we know what the story, how it ends, right? We've been reading the same story every year, different of us for a different amount of years. We anticipate how it's going to end. We nevertheless get the same goosebumps and we hold our breath and we can't wait to see. And we can see within the text incredible ups and downs. In Parshas Miketz, even though Vayigash is next week, is really the pinnacle of the story, in Parshas Miketz, in our Parsha, is when the suspense is most built up. So let's do as we always do, a review Parshas Miketz, an overview of the Parsha, and then we'll delve into the Pesukim. I want to study together the very end of the Parsha, which really is the culmination of the build-up of the suspense leading up to the big reveal that takes place in next week's Parsha. Our Parsha begins, Miketz, with Paro's dreams last week and this week, we have dreams. Last week we saw uh, Yosef have two dreams. This week we see Paro have two dreams. But the two dreams are not obviously the same. The Lubavitch Rebbe points out, I mentioned last week in the Shtibel Minyan on Shabbos, in a Sicha, the Rebbe points out that the dreams of Paro descend while the dreams of Yosef ascend. Yosef first dreams about being in the field and he dreams about stalks of wheat, the most basic staples of life the most basic descriptions of materialism, the symbol of the physical world. And then his next dream is about the heavens, about the stars and the sun and the moon bowing down. So he ascends, he aspires, he's looking to grow. Paro's dreams descend. They begin with the animal world, with the seven skinny cows swallowing the seven fat cows, and they descend to the ears of corn. Paro goes in the other direction. And the Rebbe Zatzal Natsicha points out a number of differences between the two dreams of Paro the two dreams of Yosef, and of course Yosef's dreams are the dreams that we should aspire for and hope for, as opposed to the dreams of, of Paro. So Paro has these two dreams, they trouble him, he awakens, he recruits all of his, uh, all of his advisors and sorcerers and access to the Psychic Friends Network, everyone he can, to try to find how he can interpret the dreams. But none of them interpret the dreams to his satisfaction. Until... All of a sudden, who remembers? Paro katsaf al avadav. Oh, sorry, go back. Pasuk. By the bear, Sarah Mashkim is parole more. Sarah Mashkim tells Paro, I'm taking a risk. What I'm about to tell you, I have the perfect dream interpreter for you. But how did I meet him? When I tell you how I met him, it's a risk because I'm going to be masker my hate. I'm going to remind you about my iniquity that led me there to begin with. What happened? If you remember, Paro, your highness, you got angry, you were disappointed, you got upset, and you placed both me, your wine bearer, and the Saratabachim, the butcher, you placed us in prison. And we dreamt, we had dreams that night, we were disturbed by our dreams, and. And there in prison with us was a Na'ar Ivri. Was a young lad. Yosef can't shake this Na'ar. Yosef can't shake this title. Why does he keep getting referred to as a Na'ar? In last week's part, he was called a Na'ar. And Rashi said, why was he a Na'ar? Because he loved to look in the mirror and fix his hair. He, he was vain. He had the vanity of youth. And you get to be my age and you lost all your hair and you realize... <laughs> It is what it is. It is what it is. But he had the vanity of youth. It's called a nar. And once again here we see he's referred to as a nar. But what's the point? The Sarah Sara Ofim remembers that uh, I was, the Sarah Mashkim rather, the wine pour remembers that I was imprisoned, I had a horrible dream and there was someone there. Yosef, that's your man. What's incredible about Yosef's life? 
Mephoshim point this out. Anyone know, by the way, when was it? What day on the calendar? We studied a few weeks ago. I'm sorry, by the way, we didn't have Parsha class the last few weeks. I had conflicts, but for the foreseeable future, I'm back. The, uh, when was the date we saw the Zohar quoted? What was the night that Yaakov wrestled with the angel? Anyone remember what night we said it was? Kol Nidre night. It was Kol Nidre night. What corresponds on our calendar with Kol Nidre night is the night that Yaakov wrestled with the angel. Well, does anyone know what night, according to the Medrash, what day was the day that Yosef, not in our parsha, a few weeks ago, when Yosef heard the dreams of the butcher and the and the uh, bake the um, the wine pourer, when did he hear their terrible dreams and interpret them? What day on the calendar was that? It was Rosh Hashanah. It was Rosh Hashanah. So many svarim on Rosh Hashanah. The svarim Akedoshim point out. What brought, what was the catalyst of Yosef's redemption? What turned his life around? What put him on the trajectory from a prisoner languishing in prison with no future to all of a sudden a rising star who ascends to be the viceroy, the second in command of all of Egypt, the second most powerful man in the world? What was the catalyst for that redemption? What changed the trajectory in life was a simple gesture. He turned in prison to these two downtrodden, depressed people and he said, Hey brothers, what's the matter? What's the matter? They say, what's the matter? We had these horrible dreams. You see that sometimes you can turn your life around and you don't know what will be the catalyst for redemption. For Yosef, what turned his life around was a momentary gesture of concern for others. If there was anyone in the world who had a right, sitting in that dungeon estranged from his family, sold into slavery, falsely imprisoned by a fake accusation of a woman who tormented him and solicited him and uh, hit on him, if there was anyone who was entitled to retreat to a corner of the prison cell and say, leave me alone, I don't care about anyone, anything, the world has failed me, it was Yosef. But instead, what did Yosef do? He turned to the two of them and said, you look so depressed. What's going on? What's going on? We had bad dreams. They interpret the dreams and years went by and Yosef didn't know how caring about others would end up saving him. It took years until it paid off. But in our parsha it pays off. Because the Saramashkin tells Paro, I've got the man for you. And he tells him about Yosef. Yosef is recruited from the pit. They shave, they put new clothing on and they bring him to Paro. Paro tells him his dreams. We're not going to study this today but I'll give you some homework over Shabbos or before then. Compare and contrast the way Paro relays his dreams to the way the Torah did. The Torah tells us the actual dreams, gives us the objective, right? God's description of the dreams as they happened. But when Paro reports the dreams to Yosef, he changes some of the facts. Why did he do that? What motivated Paro to change some of the details of the dreams? And what can we learn from that? That's your, that's your homework. So Paro uh, repeats the dreams. And Yosef turns to him and he says, Chalom paro echadhu. We've studied this in the past. You can listen on YU Torah. But in the past we've shown, the Mephoshim and Arashpam and others point out, what made Paro so convinced that Yosef had the correct interpretation? Because Yosef heard both dreams and he synthesized them. He said, your two dreams are really one message. What God intends to do to you, He is communicating to you through your dreams. And He tells him exactly what it is. And here Yosef, by the way, becomes the first great Jew responsible for the Fed, right? He's the great economist. Yosef and economists have written articles about Yosef's dream interpretation, about the cycles of the economy, the fat years and the thin years, and the saving and the fat years to make sure you have enough to cover you in the thin years. Yosef is a a great economist. And Paro is convinced. And Paro is not just impressed. But what does Paro say? What does Paro say? Yosef Yosef does something more, by the way. Yosef goes above and beyond in a chutzpidik way. We've studied this also in the past. Paro wanted his dreams interpreted. Was he looking for advice? It's Paro. He's not looking for advice. Yosef goes above and beyond what he's asked. Not only does he tell Paro, this is what your dream means, he says, and now here's what you need to do. You need to find a wise and discerning person, put them in charge. They have to be able to save during the fat years. They have to be able to know how to then share during the thin years. It was a risky move, but it was a risk that pays off. Because it's interesting. 
Yosef says, you need an ish navon vechacham. You need to find somebody who is navon, discerning, and chacham wise. Paro liked it. Vaitava davar paro. Paro liked this interpretation. And what does Paro say? He turns to his other servants and he says, have you ever seen somebody who's got such a spirit of God, such a positive energy? And Paro turns to Yosef and he says, After you have interpreted so accurately my dreams and communicated it to me, it's clear to me there's no one Navon or Chacham like you. He takes Yosef's own words and says, Yosef, you're that man. The profile of the perfect person you describe, I need, you're that man. I need you. I saw this morning, the Slonim Reb is at Sal, and his Nesiva Shalom points out that in this expression, Paro may be established the first Chabad house in Egypt. <laughs> How did Paro establish the first Chabad house? The first reference in the Torah to Chabad. Acharei Hodia. He says, Yosef, you've exhibited das. And what does the das reflect? That ain't navon vechacham kamocha. Hodia is das, navon is bina, chacham is chachma. Chachma, bina, and das is, is chabad. The Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, I don't mean that as a joke. I don't mean that as a joke. The Slonim Rebbe, the Chabad, was not the first to understand this acronym. The value of Chochmah, Bina, and Das as a way of life. The Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe's Tanya, is not built on feel-good things. You know, you read the article in Jewish Action that's uh, generated a whole discussion now about Neo-Hasidus. The new move in the modern Orthodox community towards Neo-Hasidus. Which is all about the feeling and the feel-good. And it's wonderful. I identify with it. I think it's fantastic. But I was very surprised when I first started to learn Tanya a little bit. And now I'm reaching an age that I can delve into Tanya a little bit more. But when you uh, learn Tanya, you see that Tanya is not built on feeling and enthusiasm and clapping and singing and hopping and bopping and dancing off the walls. Tanya is built on Chochmah, Bina and Das, learning, the intellect, cognition, Torah. But anyway, Paro turns to Yosef and he says, Acharei Hodia, you have Das. Das is the highest level of consciousness. Das is the highest level of mindfulness, of awareness, of presence. And what does Das result from? Said the Salam Rebbe in the Siddha Shalom, the perfect combination of Bina and Chachma. What are Bina and Chachma? So, Chachma is Bemoach. Chachma comes from the brain. Chachma is to intellectually understand something. A person studies the research on smoking's impact on your health, they now have chachma, they have the knowledge, the wisdom, they can quote the studies that if you smoke, you're going to get lung cancer. Bina is belief. Discernment, bina takes place in the heart. Bina is an understanding beyond intellectually, but that penetrates the heart. Bina is the emotional understanding. Go to a hospital, see x-rays, see people on ventilators because they smoked. Now your heart strings are tugged on. You'll, you don't want to touch a cigarette. That's an emotional reaction. Chachma is b'moach in the brain. Bina is belave in the heart. And Das, says the Rebbe, the Slonim Rebbe, is the combination of Chachma and Bina, when the, which is the highest level of, of consciousness. Right? We, have a, we have a world of things that are in our head, but they're not yet in our heart. In fact, it's been said, the farthest distance between any two things on earth are the distance between a person's head and their heart. That's why men wear the head fill and the heart fill in. You can't have an interruption between the two. You're not allowed to be Mesiyach Das. You can't speak or have Sicha. You can't speak in between the head and the heart. When putting those two, they have to be combined. So you can, we know all kinds of things intellectually. We know that chocolate cake's bad for us. And we know that Lashon heart is going to get us in trouble. And we know all kinds of things. But it's not yet in our heart. And then we have all kinds of things in our heart that aren't in our head. We, things are pulling us emotionally in a lot of directions. The highest level of a consciousness, awareness of life is the da'as of the combination of Chochmah and Bina. And that's what Paro sees in Yosef, says the Slana Rebbe. He sees that he's a Chabadnik. He sees that he's got Chochmah, Bina resulting in Das. Yosef is the first Shliach. Yosef is the first Shliach. Mamish. What else does Yosef do? Again, I'm spending all our time on this. I want to get to our section. What does Yosef achieve? We've spoken about this in the past. 
Yosef, last week's parasha Rashi said, Yosef's character, Yosef's identity is Shem Shamayim Shkura Bafiv. The God's name is dripping off of Yosef's list. Yosef's also the first Mechalah girl. He comes back, Yosef, Baruch Hashem, Amir Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Chaste Hashem, Ezra Hashem. Yosef, everything he says, Yosef, he mentions Hashem's name. Everything. And what happens in this conversation in our parsha with, with uh, Paro? Again, Yosef takes a great risk. Paro pulls him out of the prison. He says, hey, buddy, I heard you interpret dreams. Interpret. Yosef says, no, it's not me. It's not me. It's God. I mean, would you do that? You'd say, yeah, I have, I have a good skill. I'm trained. I've been blessed. I can do it. Right? This is your future. You've been pulled out of prison. This is your chance. And Yosef doesn't say, yeah, it's me. He does the opposite. He exhibits unbelievable humility. Yosef says, me? It's not me. This talent is on loan from God. I don't own it. It's not my talent. This is God. And then he tells Paro, oh, your dreams. What God intends to do. He's telling you through the dreams. This is what God's plan is. And this is what God wants you to do. And here's what God says is going to happen. And what's the result of it all? What does Paro do? He, he listens to Yosef's interpretation. And the Pasuk we just read. He turns to his advisors and he says, He says, You ever hear somebody who talks about God so much? Wow. And then what does he do? What does Paro do? He talks about God. Yosef is a shliach. And he recruits Paro to see in God. And Paro begins to talk the language of the Ribbon Shalom, of Hashem. Ruach Elokimbo, and so on and so forth. Right? Now that God has revealed all this to you, I mean, now that God has revealed, Paro the pagan all of a sudden says to Yosef, Yosef, now that God's revealed all this to you, yeah, let's, let's work together. What's the game plan? God's got a plan for us. Let's work together to make God's plan for us happen. Yosef is successful. He transforms Paro. And he does it, this is a big hint to us, he does it not overtly, explicitly. He doesn't give a discovery seminar or the Bible codes or lecture Paro. You pagan lowlife Oisvarf Paro. He doesn't lecture Paro. He simply, almost tangentially, parenthetically, by mentioning Hashem's name so much, it's the result. That's the result. It's an incredible quality and skill. Anyway, Yosef's plans are implemented. Yosef has two children in Mitzrayim, Menashe and Ephraim. Name, why he names them Menashe and Ephraim may be very telling. We'll come back to it in a moment at the end. Why, by the way, of all of the... We've talked about this in the past, I'm not going to repeat it. Why do we bless our sons on Friday night to be like Menashe and Ephraim? Ephraim and Menashe. Why not like Avram, Yitzchak and Yaakov, Moshe and Aaron, David Amelach, Shlomo Amelach, of all the personalities in Tanakh, why Ephraim and Menashe? Many beautiful reasons which are offered. Anyway, the, uh, the famine, the dreams begin to come true. The famine de- de- uh, devastates. Yaakov sends his sons to Egypt. And the brothers come, and what do they do? They stand before this mighty viceroy, the chairman of the Fed, the one with access to money. And what do they do? Vayavo Ache Yosef, on page 232, if you want to follow our summary. Vayavo Ache Yosef, Pasuk Zayin. The brothers of Yosef arrive. Vayishtachavulo Apayim Artsa. And what do they do? They bow down. And what is that the beginning of the fulfillment of? Yosef's dream. Ooh, here are the brothers. And ooh, they just bowed down. That reminds me of some sheaves of wheat. That reminds me of some stars. But what's missing from the dream? What's missing from the dream is the sun. In the second dream, the sun's supposed to bow down. What else is missing from the dream? In the second dream, how many stars bow down? Eleven. How many brothers visited Yosef? So the dream begins to unfold. The first dream is met, but the second dream is not. Ten brothers come, ten stalks of wheat, bound together, bow. But the second dream is eleven stars and the sun. Where's the eleven star and the sun? That's going to take us to the end of the Parsha, where Yosef's orchestrating things. Right? So keep that in mind. So the brothers come down. Vayakir Yosef is achav v'heim lo hikiruhu. Yosef recognizes his brothers and they, of course, don't recognize him. Can't even imagine. Right again, put yourself in Yosef's shoes. Years have passed. 
He's been isolated and alienated. And he's been wondering, does anyone remember me? Do they care about me? Nobody's searched for me. And here are his brothers. You can't imagine how overwhelmed by emotion he absolutely must have been. So they say, why are you here? You're spies. He accuses them of being spies. And they say, what are you talking about spies? We didn't come to spy. We're hungry. We came for food. So he says, they say, we're 12. Um, they reveal that there's a 12th brother. What is Yosef so moved by immediately? I mean, I'll tell you right now. This is what I'm going to get to at the end of the Parsha when we study it. There's a tremendous tension among the commentators and a tremendous tension in the text. What's Yosef's attitude towards his brothers? Does he long for them? Does he miss them? Is he trying to reconcile with them? Or is it an antagonistic relationship? Is he seeking revenge? Right? The Abar Benel asks, the Abar Benel doesn't understand. The Abar Benel writes very powerfully. One of the most troubling questions in Parshas Miketz. Why did Yosef alienate himself from his brothers and speak harshly to them? Writes the Abar Benel. First now, when he accuses them of being spies, then he's going to plant money in their sacks and they're going to go home and discover they have money. Then he's going to plant the goblet in Binyamin's sack and accuse Binyamin of stealing his most precious artifacts, most precious nostalgic goblet. What is Yosef doing? Is he trying to get revenge against his brothers? Isn't being vengeful and bearing a grudge against the Torah? Losikam velositor. And, and if they in fact didn't do anything wrong, why is Yosef projecting this evil upon them? And why is he seeking revenge 20 years later? And the manner in which he's looking to take this revenge, asks the Barbanel, is going to cause whom to suffer? His father. It's one thing to get revenge against the brothers. These lowlifes tried to kill him. And when they took him out of the pit, that might have killed him and had snakes and scorpions. They sold him. It'd be one thing to take revenge against the brothers. But the one who will suffer ultimately if his revenge comes to fruition, it's not the brothers only, it's his precious beloved father. He is the ben zikunim of his father. He's not only the young son of his father, Rashi saw it from Unkelis, the ben zikunim is, Bar Chochma, he is the one he studied. While the other boys were out playing softball and riding their scooters because they learned the minimum amount, Yosef sat and continued to learn all day with his father. Their relationship was unbelievable. And ask the Abar Benel, why would Yosef want their father to suffer? So the underlying question that begs itself in our Parsha, is Yosef antagonistic and vengeful to his brothers? Is Yosef longing for his brothers? And there's hints in the text in either direction. The Chamalebavitz, in, uh, in her book, in her articles, she takes the position that Yosef is longing. He wants reconciliation more than anything. He sees the brothers and oh, he wants to bury the hatchet. He wants to put it behind them. He wants to reconcile. He longs. He longs to be a brother again. Where's the first hint? Where's the first hint that Yosef sees something in the brothers that opens the door to reconciliation? What could the brothers have easily done when they introduced themselves to this viceroy? They could have said, How many are we? We're 11 brothers. We're 11 brothers. But they didn't. Vayomru, Shneimasar Avadecha Achim Anachnu. We are 12 Achim Anachnu, brothers. Bneish Echad, with unity. And whom did they include? 12 means not only their youngest brother, Binyamin, who we'll see is going to become the ultimate test for, for Yosef, because Binyamin has the most in common with him. But they include him. Shneimasar Anachnu. We're 12. The first hint to Yosef, wow, they haven't written me out. They haven't deleted or purged me from their family narrative. I'm part of the family story still. Shneimasar, wow, they haven't completely forgotten me. So Yosef says, you're spies, and uh, unless you come back with the youngest brother, I don't believe you. He says, leave one here. So Yosef says, so he puts them in prison for three days, you're spies. On the third day, he lets them out. And he says, if you're truthful, and you're not really spies, 
then go bring back your youngest brother. And they then say to one another, um, we can't do it. Why do they hesitate to be able to go get this youngest brother? Where's the Pasuk? We're guilty concerning our brother. We saw this heartfelt anguish when he pleaded with us. We paid no heed. Right? They start to feel among themselves some guilt. They realize that more than 20 years later, what they're going to experience now is the result of their indiscretion earlier. So Reuven steps forward and he says, I told you don't do anything to him, but you didn't listen to me. They didn't know that Yosef understood this all. So again, this is the second hint that even 20 years later Yosef is listening to them and they don't understand that Yosef speaks their language, literally and Yosef understands that they are talking about the guilt they're debating among themselves whose fault we shouldn't have Reuven says, I told you and in fact Yosef has to retreat in order to cry he's overcome with emotion this powerful viceroy of Egypt a politician and diplomat of the highest order who undoubtedly had learned to control his emotions to advance Egypt's best interests breaks down, he can't, he can't contain it. He has to excuse himself so he can cry. Why? So Necham it says, with each of these minor gestures, Yosef is learning more and more that there is some love and affection from the brothers. That they do still long for him. That there is an opportunity for reconciliation. Yes? Right. So the other pressing two questions, the other pressing two questions that exist are um, why didn't Yosef contact his father? Hebron, where, ya- where or the area where Yaakov lived, is a six-day journey from Egypt. Not a year journey. Twenty years Yosef couldn't find six days himself or through an agent to let Yaakov know he's alive. That's a very compelling question. You could ask the opposite from Yosef's perspective. Yosef first sits in prison, right? He's working in the house of Potiphar. He's sitting in prison, falsely accused. He's liberated. He's the viceroy. Why is no one looking for him? Why doesn't he see his face in the back of a milk carton? Why is no one looking for him? No amber alert for Yosef. So each side is wondering, why aren't they looking for each other? We're going to get back to that. There's a lot of things I said we're going to get back to, so we have a lot to do here. So Yosef... uh, holds on to Reuven, sends the brothers back, but he of course plants money. They get back and they go, whoa, we have this money. What was the money? It was the money they had intended to purchase the provisions with. The Yosef sent that money back with them. They now fear, oh boy, we're in trouble. We left our one brother. We're supposed to come back with another brother. Yaakov says, you already, I already lost one child. You now take my next child, I'm going to die. You're going to kill me. And it's against that backdrop that they bring Binyamin back. And Yehuda, by Yomer, love Yehuda. It's Yehuda who steps up and tells his father, "We have to bring Binyamin." And Yaakov sees Yehuda and says, "Yehuda, if you're willing to take responsibility, Tapa two forty. If you're willing to take Why did you intend to do such bad things to me? It's interesting. Why does the Torah call him Yisrael here, not Yaakov? When he's responding, why Yisrael, not Yaakov? Yaakov has interchangeable names. The other Avos, once their names were changed, Avos Imaos, were not allowed to use their original name again. Yaakov has Yaakov and Yisrael, and there's something to learn by the choice of which name is used. Why in this context is Yisrael used and not Yaakov? But what'd you have to reveal that you had another brother? What'd you do it for? So Yehuda says, send him with me. Shilcha Nari Tiv, Akuma Namus. Send them with me. 
I'll take care of it. And they beg him and they, they head back. Yosef sees Binyamin and tests his brother's sincerity. And this brings us up to the part that I want to study together. The final test. Page 246, Perak Memdalad Pasuk Aleph. Okay? Ready? Memdalad, 44.1. Perak Memdalad Pasuk Aleph. This is what I wanted to <coughs> study, what I want to study together. Well, by the way, when they come back to Egypt and they say, we have all this money, we don't know where it came from, it's not ours, take it. What does Yosef do? Eh, don't worry, through his, uh, through his servant, when the Medrash tells us who's the intermediary communicating with the brothers, his son Menashe. It's Menashe, his son. It's interesting that Yosef is recruiting his son as part of the whole unless Menashe doesn't know at this point that these are his brothers. Even Menashe is in the dark at this point. Unclear. Unclear. So, um, but Yosef then invites them to sit down to a festive meal. And he wants to figure out a way for Binyamin to sit next to him. This is his closest brother. The brother with whom he has the most in common, who he's never met. He's dying to know Binyamin. And so he orchestrates a way for Binyamin to sit next to him. They enjoy this festive meal, which is why it's so surprising that when he sends them on their way again, now, now he plants the goblet in Binyamin. He tells the person in charge of his house and he tells them, fill their sacks, their backpacks, put as much food as they can and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, put the money again. And, and, and take my goblet, the silver goblet, put it in the opening of the backpack of the youngest one of Binyamin, along with the money. And the individual, the head of his household, followed Kasher Kedvar Yosef Asher Diber. He did everything as Yosef said, as Yosef said to do. And the Orachayim Akadosh is bothered by the questions we asked. Sarach Ladas Tam Yosef Binyanim Elu. What is Yosef thinking? Has he not put them through enough? And again, the Abar Benel's question. Is Yosef tr- seeking revenge? Is he trying to get even with the brothers? Or is he trying to accomplish something else? And why torture the father? Ask the Yorachayim. If he's trying to cause them pain, it's totally incongruent and inconsistent with the other behavior he's shown. Why did he invite them to his festive meal? Why did he indulge them with delicacies and, and, and uh, luxuries and greatest food? If Yosef is trying to antagonize them, why is he sending this mixed message of showing them love? And now, does he have shalom or not? Is there reconciliation and peace? Or is there antagonism, antagonism and conflict? Says the Archaim, maybe Yosef was thinking about three things. He was trying to put them in a position of shame, of stealing, because they had essentially kidnapped Yosef. He wanted them to express or admit or affirm the shame in stealing something. So he sets them up as if they stole, says the Orachayim, so they understand that what they had done 20 years was steal a piece of his life. They kidnapped him. They stole his identity. They stole his innocence. The second thing, says the Orachayim, is by holding back Binyamin, you know, the Rambam writes, what's the, what's the greatest level of tshuva? What's tshuva gemura? Tshuva, writes the Rambam in Hilchus, tshuva is to have regret for the past, admit it in the present, and make a commitment not to repeat it in the future. That's tshuva. Writes the Rambam, Ezi tshuva gemura. What is complete and absolute tshuva? He says, for a person to be back in the exact same circumstance they were in, and nevertheless to overcome. Rambam gives actually a very graphic example. Rambam says, a man who was in alone with a woman who's not his wife and fails the test and is intimate with her. Tshuva gemura for that man is to be back alone with a woman 
and writes the Rambam, and to have the same temptations, not the affirmity of age, so therefore he doesn't have the same temptations, for the man to be back in the same situation, with the same temptations, and say this time, not interested, I won't do it. Rambam says that's tshuva gemur, which begs the age-old question, if you do tshuva properly, which includes not putting yourself in a situation of temptation, how do you ever achieve tshuva gemurah? It's a question everyone asks in the Rambam. If you do tshuva properly, how do you ever achieve tshuva gemurah? But Yosef, according to the Orachayim, is orchestrating tshuva gemurah for his brothers. How is he orchestrating it? He can't put himself back in the same situation. What's the next best thing? What's the closest thing to Yosef? Binyamin. Why? They share the same mother and father. So he takes Binyamin, he puts him in the same situation and he wants to see, hey brothers, are you going to abandon your brother the way you abandoned me? Are you going to walk away or are you going to step up this time and not leave a brother? You left me in the pit. Are you going to leave Binyamin in the pit in Egypt and go back and make up some cockamamie story for your father? Are you going to do the same thing or are you going to do differently? And if they behave and react differently, it will finally confirm for Yosef what he's wanted to believe throughout this whole episode, which is that they've changed. Again, according to Nechama Leibovitz, Yosef has tremendous hints that they've changed. But how do you really know? How do you really know? You know how you really know? When a person is in the exact same situation and they behave differently, you know they've changed. So for the Yorachayim, Yosef orchestrates to be back in the exact same situation and nevertheless to behave differently. Will they step up for Binyamin? Which we don't find out until next week's Parsha. I'm not giving it away. Hagimel, and what's the third reason? Yosef's hinting throughout this whole thing that what he's accused them of doing now is basically exactly what they did previously to him. And it's all, again, in order to try to heighten their awareness so that they will rise to the occasion. The Svarno says the exact same thing. Says the Svarno, Pasuk Beis, Tasim Befi Amtachas Akatan, put in the sack in the backpack of the youngest, writes the Svarno, Liros, Ech Yimsru Atzma Malav Kidei Lahatzilo. Let's see. Will they be Moser Nefesh? Will they put themselves out in order to save, in order to save Binyam? Continuing, Pasa Gimel. Haboker or, Haboker or, the day dawned, the Anashim Shulchu Hema Vachamoreim, and the men were sent off, they and their donkeys. Right, they had come back, here's more provisions, we've packed a backpack for each of you, head out on the road, head out on the road. Rabbi Salavechik points out, this is in the Rav Chumash, the Anashim Shulchu. What is Anashim? How have they been described until now? Achim, brothers. But now the narrative describes them not as brothers, but as? Writes the Rav. The morning became light and the men were sent on their way. During the night of drinking, Yosef gradually forgot what his brothers had done to him in Canaan. They exchanged gifts. He felt love for them. In the morning, the feeling of alienation returned. The brothers are now referred to as Anashim, men, not as brothers. The word shulchu means they were summarily expelled from Yosef's premises. Right? Sometimes you can have a beautiful evening of drinking and forget let bygones be bygones and you wake up the next morning and the harshness of the sting of the pain returns. And you remember who they are and what they did for you. What they did to you. Said the Rav, that's what's going on in this Pasuk. Yosef has a wonderful evening of drinking with them and wants to believe that their brotherhood has returned, but he wakes up in the morning and he can't help once again feel the sting of the pain of what they had done. Shulchu, he expelled them, so to say. Go back to your father. They left the city. They weren't far. The Yosef, Amar Lasher Abeso, Yosef turns to the person in charge of his house. Again, the Medrash fills in. Who is this person? His son, Menashe. Go pursue these men. and catch up to them. Tell them. What is the matter with you? Where is your gratitude? Why are you so ungracious? I've done nothing but supply you with provisions. I fed you. I took care of you. Last night we drank together and had an incredible meal and I took on the bill. And Lama 
Why would you do this? Now again, they don't know what what they did. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? In the very cup that our master drinks from. And he does nichush with it. What's nichush? Divination, sorcery, witchcraft. He does some form of something with it. That's what you steal? His precious, nostalgic, meaningful goblet with which he divinates? Yosef instructed Menashe what to do. Menashe runs and catches up, and he says exactly this to the brothers. They respond, they say, What are you talking about? Why are you saying these things? God forbid we would do something like this. Continuing Pasuk Ches, verse 7. Khalila comes, what does Khalila mean? We say all the time, Khalila. What does Khalila mean? Rashi here tells us, look at Rashi. Pasuk Zayin. Khalila, chulin hulanu. Khalila comes from the Lashon Chol. Lahavdil ben Kodesh Lachol. Chol means mundane. Chol means a lack of sanctity. Khalila. Right? How does Arts go translate it? Sacrilegious. It would be sacrilegious for us to do such a thing. It would be chulin. We live lives of kedusha. Whenever you say chalila, chalila is miloshon chulin, loshon genai. Rashi says, chas meis hakadosh baruch hu yaleinu measos zos varbeish begemara chas v'shalom. Right, this language we see chas v'shalom, chalila, chulin, sacrilegious. Continuing, pasuk zayin. What are you talking about? Why are you accusing us? We found money last time we went home to Canaan. You didn't accuse us. You didn't catch us. What did we do? We volunteered that we found money. If you want to know just how honest we are, we came to you volunteering the fact that we found money. How could you now accuse us of stealing silver or gold? Rashi writes, This is one of the ten Kalvachomers in the Torah. What's a Kalvachomer? Every yeshiva student knows at least two Latin words. A fortiori. They don't know what those means. A Kalvachomer means, right? A Kalvachomer means that if this, then certainly that. There are ten Kalvachomers in the Torah itself. Kalvachomer, if you get to shul early enough in the morning, you know, one of the 13 ways a Torah address is behind. So, what's the Chakal V'chomer? They say, if we found money and we voluntarily returned it to you, Kal we would never steal something. How could you accuse us of stealing something? We are indeed so honest that when we found something, we voluntarily returned it to you. So confident are they in their honesty they say, search us. Search your bags. If we stole anything from you, let that person die. Let the person who stole expire, let them die. And the rest of us, we will be your slaves. We will be indentured servants to you forever. So what does Menashe say? Again, from the text we don't know it's Menashe. From the Medrash we do. And there are other Midrashim who suggest other people. But what does Menashe say? Okay, it's a plan. He doesn't. He says okay, that's a plan. But then he doesn't say the exact same thing. The brothers said, "Search us, and whoever stole, let them die, and the rest of us will be slaves." And what does Menashe answer? Okay, I'll search you, and whoever stole will be a slave, and the rest of you will be free. Nikim. He doesn't answer the same way. Vayimaharu, I'm just reading till the end of the parasha, then we'll go back and look at these pilkim. Vayimaharu, vayiridu ishasam takto arza. They quickly hasten to lower their bags. Vayiftachu isham takto, everyone opened their sack. Vayichapes bagadol hechel vakaton kila. And they began to search from uh, the oldest and ended with the youngest. Interesting. I saw one of them, the Farshim here says, 
He began with the oldest was Reuven. And with the youngest is right. Two most certainly should not have had money. Or previously didn't have money. In other words, if the Kavachomer was, we proven in our innocence because previously we found money and voluntarily gave it to you. Well, the two people who did not previously find money and voluntarily give it, who are they? Ruvain, why? He was in jail. And Binyamin, oh, Shimon, I'm sorry, Shimon, he was in jail, correct? And Binyamin, because he had not gone down. So he starts with the oldest and goes to the youngest. Anyway, but continuing. Where does he find the goblet? In the backpack of Binyamin. They're shocked. The brothers are overwhelmed with emotion. Here's another mystery of the text. What in the world are the other ten brothers thinking at that moment? Do they believe that their brother is innocent and framed? Or do they believe their brother is not who they think he was? Right from the text, it's unclear. What happens? They tear their garments, everybody gets back on their donkey, and they return Ha'ira, they return back to the city. Rashi writes, Metropolis. Metropolis. Metropolis Haisa Omer Ha'ira. Ha'ira Koshu. They're going back to the city, back to the big city. Yehuda and his brothers come to the house of Yosef. Yosef's still there. And what happens? What does he see they do? Ooh, they bow down again. What does that make Yosef feel? The dreams are coming true. The dreams are coming true. What is this that you've done to me? Do you know anybody as Menachish, anyone as divining as me? Yehuda steps up and he says, What can I tell you? When do we say those words? Slichos. We say them throughout Slichos. We're not talking to Yosef, but we say to God, What can we say? What's nitzadak? What lashon? What grammar? Nitzadak. It's it's hispael. It's reflexive. It's reflexive. How can I? It's sedek. Rashi's lashon sedek. How can I transform ourselves into righteous, into being judged righteously? Yehuda says, what can we say? How can we speak? How can we possibly defend ourselves? God has uncovered the sin that we've done. And here we are, ready to be your servants. All of us, including the person in whose hand the goblet was found. So again, he doesn't do what Menashe said. He goes back to the original offer. Menashe's response was, the fair punishment is... The one in whose hands the goblet is found should stay and be a slave. Everyone else go. You're Nikiim. You're free. You're clean. Go return home. But they say, no, we're all staying. We're in this together. Yosef says, it would be sacrilegious for me to do. No. That would be sacrilegious. So what did we see a moment ago? Where is... I'm sorry... The brothers use the language of Khalila to Yosef, to Menashe. And now Yosef's using that very same language when he says back to them, Khalila, it would be wrong for me to keep all of you. I'm just keeping Binyam. And the curtain comes to a close and the end of Act 2 and the suspense is heightened. The plot has come to a crescendo because Yosef says, no, I insist, just Binyamin, the rest of you are free to go. And what will happen next. So again, the question is begged, what is really going on here? What in the world is really going on here? So let's look at some of the Mepharshim. As always, we don't have a lot of time. The Orachayim is bothered. I'm just going to give you some hints and you can look at these more Mepharshim on your own and then we'll get to an incredible interpretation of Revyol Bin Nun. The Orachayim HaKadosh writes, Hare Oshlem Asher Asisim on Pasuk Vav. Right? When Menashe approaches them, he says, Lama Ariosim, what have you done? Why are you doing this? So 
the Orchayim is bothered. Kasha, Acha Shamar, Lama Shilamtem Ra Tachas Tova, Ma Makam Lama Hariosam. Hello, Ein Lacha Ra Baolam Kimashalim Ra Tachas Tova. Once you've already said you've been, you've had ingratitude, you've been ungracious. Why do you have to now say Lama Hariosam? Why'd you do this bad thing? What could be worse than, than being, than lacking gratitude when something's done good for you? It's a very strange, right? In other words, previously Menashe catches them and he says. Why did you return our goodness with wickedness? And now again he says, Sorry, Why did you take the cup? Why did you do this terrible ra? It's repetitive, it's redundant. And then The Yorachayim is bothered by this question, even though from the look on most of your faces you're not. But the Yorachayim is bothered by this question. And if you're curious... You can look at what he, what he answers. What's the idea of this nichush, this cup? Did Yosef do real divination through the cup? Or did he want to give the brothers the impression he gave divination through the cup? So look at Rashi and Pasuk Tezvav. The whole exchange where they say someone stole the goblet happens while the, while the backpacks are sealed. How did Yosef know? Even without the goblet. So Rashi says, Don't you know an Ish Chashev Kamoni, someone wise, smart, discerning, someone who's reached my level, my career, don't you know that I know exactly what's going on? Umisvara writes Rashi, Umisvara Ubina Kiatem Ganavdem Hagvia. I know, Misvara, without even seeing it in one of your bags, I know one of you stole it. Meaning, and the Sifse Chacham here fills in. You might be wondering if we stole your cup with the, your, your, your crystal ball how do you know anything? So Yosef says you think I rely on the crystal ball to know things? You think I rely on that cup? That goblet? I have Bina Chabad Shliach I know what's going on I am discerning I have a high level of consciousness even without needing that Yosef tells the, the brothers. What's the reaction? What's the reaction of the of Yehuda representing the brothers? By the way, the Kliyakar, go to Pasuk Yud first. These are all the things I wanted to explore with you, but we're out of time. The Kliyakar is bothered in Pasuk Yud. What happens? Menashe, or Yosef's agent, says to them, Okay, Gamataka Devrechem, Kenu. We'll do as you said. The one who found it will be the servant and everyone else will go free. Ask the Kliyakar, Eich Omar Kedivrechem Halohema Amushaganav Ben Mavis Vehem Yulavadim Vuhu Lo Omar Kain What do you mean? Yes, we'll do exactly as you say and then I'll tell you very differently than what you said. It's a very bizarre reaction that Menashe has. Kedivrechem Kenu As you proposed, thus shall we do. Okay, except that we're going to do it totally differently. Ask the Kliyakar. And again here, I'm just I'm trying to, as we do every week in this class, I'm trying to raise your level of, of, of detail in the Pesukah to ask these questions. Things that don't make sense. Anomalies, grammatical uh, contradictions, or and so on and so forth. Okay, but let's get to the crux of the matter. What's the crux of the matter? Why in the world did Yosef do this? Why did Yosef put them through this? So the Ramban says, we're not going to read the Ramban inside, we don't have time. But the Ramban says, you know why Yosef put them through it? It's very simple. And this is what we began with. It says the Ramban, Yosef understood that God gave him these dreams. And these dreams did not come to reveal the future to him in order to satisfy curiosity. And these dreams were not just figments of his imagination or reflection of bad Chinese food that day or things that he had been thinking about. Yosef, according to the Ramban, understood these dreams to be God's will in the world. And he felt the awesome burden of the responsibility to make these dreams come true because they are the fulfillment of God's vision for his world. For the Ramban, these dreams represent no less than prophecy. They are what God wants for the world. So therefore, according to the Ramban, Yosef sees in Binyamin this opportunity. How is he, he already had his first dream fulfilled. When the brothers first came down, they bowed down to him. The first dream was filled. But in the second dream, he needs 11 stars. 
that include Binyamin, and he needs the son. How in the world is he going to get it? If he holds on to Binyamin and sends the other brothers back, they surely will come with their father to get rescue Binyamin. For the Ramban, that's the plan. For the Ramban, that's what's going on here. Why is Yosef doing it and answering the Abar Benel's question? He's not trying to make his father suffer, nor is he vengeful. He's loyal to the Ribbonu Shalom. He's trying to fulfill the will of the Almighty. He's trying to make that second dream come true. And the only way he can think to do it is to falsely accuse Binyamin, hold him back, and the father will come down, everyone will bow, the 11 stars and the sun, and then God's will will be fulfilled, humanity will continue the way, the way it is supposed to. And again, we saw the Orachayim also, that Yosef is trying to gauge their level of remorse, of regret. Have they really changed or not? But I want to leave you with one last suggestion. It's an incredible suggestion of Rav Yoel ben Nun, a great uh, parshan in Israel today. He teaches in Haratzion, in Gush, and uh, elsewhere. Says Rav Yoel ben Nun, it's a little bit of a innovative, a radical suggestion, but he says the following. And it comes back to your question. Yosef's sitting in Egypt for 20 years and he's wondering, why has my father not come looking for me? Why is my father... By the way, the Ramban answers the question of why Yosef never looked for his father. Because to him it's all about making these dreams come true. Everything that's happened is part of God's plan. As he sees it unfold, he will help it continue to unfold. But his father needs to come bow down to him, not for him to go back to his father. That's the Ramban's understanding. But if Yob Nun is concerned with something else, which is... Sorry, but if Yob is concerned with something else. Why did Yosef not go ever look for his father? Why didn't he look for his father? So Rav Yob Nun courageously suggests that Yosef's behavior at the end of our parsha is based on a mistake. Yosef on a mistake. Yosef looks back at his parents and grandparents and his uncles, his father and grandfather and uncle and great uncle. And what pattern does Yosef see? Hmm. Avram had a Yitzchak and he also had an Esav. And he threw Esav out of the... Uh, Yishmael rather. And he threw Yishmael out of the house and he embraced Yitzchak. Hmm. Yitzchak had my father Yaakov. And Yaakov had an Esav. And Yitzchak embraced Yaakov. And who did he throw out? He threw out Esav. Yosef sitting in that pit wallowing in sorrow. Yosef being transported to the caravan, sold into slavery. Yosef with all that time to think in prison. Yosef even while sitting in a powerful position, says Rav Yol Nun, can't help but conclude to himself, I'm the Ishmael. I'm the Esav. I'm the brother that my father had no use for. He was part of what the brothers did. How did Yosef get sold into slavery? Do you remember how Yosef ended up in Shechem looking for his brothers? Who sent him? His father. Says Rav Yol Nun, Yosef erroneously concludes, but understandably concludes, my father was part of the plan. He sent me to go look for my brothers, knowing they were lying and waiting. They came upon me, originally were going to kill me, they spared me, but they still sold me into slavery. They got me out of the picture. They got me out of the picture. And maybe, you know why they came down here now? Because my father is so upset that they only got me out of the picture. They came down to do what? To finish the job. To finish the job. So, so it says Rav Yo Nun, when does Yosef realize his mistake? given away next week's parsha a little bit but when Yehuda steps up and says to Yosef you cannot leave Binyamin here why? because before our father sent us he said my wife gave me two sons and I already lost one of them and, I, and he was torn to pieces and I haven't seen him since and if you take the second son I will die when Yosef hears those words, what does he now know about his father? That he was never in on the plan. And that's when he reveals himself. He says, I'm Yosef, Ha'od Avichai. That father who you say says that, I need my father. Right? You get the chills. This story is better than anything. Yosef never knew for 20 years. Was his father the one who orchestrated this? So he holds on to Binyamin. He does this entire thing. Only then does he discover that when they quote his father as saying, you already, one of my sons is gone and I've never been the same and if you do this, I can't live. Now Yosef knows. 
So why did Yosef hold Binyamin according to Rav Yol Nun? To know where, forget the brothers. He wanted to know where the father was in the whole plan. All of the interaction with the brothers was not to gauge the brothers, but was to gauge his father Yaakov. And when he realizes that Yaakov was not part of this plan, and Yaakov missed him and was in pain, that's when he reveals himself and he continues. What he also learns is, when Yehuda says to him, Hayalokim, God, our avon, our iniquity has caught up with us. Yosef realizes, Yehuda never says, oh boy, Benjamin stole it, it's time to pay the piper. Yehuda says, God orchestrated this, I guess we're all going to jail. And Yehuda, Yosef realizes that Yehuda understands that it's not about the goblet. It's almost as if Yehuda understands that Yosef planted the goblet, and Yehuda realizes all of this is because of what we did to that Yosef. So Yosef now knows that his father wasn't in on it, he knows that his brothers get it, he knows that his brothers are willing to step up for their younger brother, and there's the ultimate reconciliation of the ultimate remorse and the ultimate affirmation that they have changed. And that's all Yosef needs to know in order to welcome them back into his life. So it's an, so much is left unsaid in the text, leaving room for speculation, but when you put it all together, it unfolds so magnificently. Have a fantastic week, a great Hanukkah.